I've never preached on this gospel text before, the casting out of the money changers. But I have heard enough other sermons to have a strong opinion on where they've gone wrong. Preachers point out how uncomfortable it makes us to see Jesus in a rage. Many Christians would agree. This story is in all four Gospels, but in John's version, which we've just heard, Jesus actually makes a whip of cords and literally starts lashing out at everything in his path. A not-so-nice Jesus. We prefer the good shepherd or the healer. Notice that you don't see too many stained-glass windows in churches depicting the scourging of the temple. What other preachers then say is something along the lines of, what this story is meant to show us is that it's okay to be angry sometimes because even Jesus lost his temper. In other words, it's okay for human beings to get mad on occasion because even our divine savior acted out. You know, for some reason, that message has always gotten stuck in my craw. You don't need to find justification for our anger in the gospel accounts of Jesus. What we need is to acknowledge that one, we're human, and to be human is to get angry sometimes. And two, there's a lot to be angry about in this world. What has made me cranky about sermons on this text is that we keep trying to defang Jesus, to make this intense text watered down into a, a personal message for us about how it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Bull. If anything, Jesus is telling us, why the hell aren't you angrier? A little background on this story. As I said, it appears in all four Gospels, but in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it comes near the end of Jesus' ministry, soon after he's entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in Passion Week. His public act of violence and condemnation against the temple is the final straw for the religious leaders, and they double down on getting him killed. In John's Gospel, however, this story shows up early, in chapter 2. Biblical scholars tell us this may be John having Jesus perform a prophetic act early on to establish his antipathy towards the ritualized hypocrisy of the temple's leaders. It may also be that since John's Gospel was written around the year 90 to 100, the last of the four, the temple is no longer central to Jewish worship. It's been destroyed since the year 70. In John, the precipitating act that rallies the Jewish leaders to have Jesus killed is his raising of Lazarus from the dead, a miracle they cannot top. And so, because they also can't control the worker of the miracle, they must destroy him, or he will usurp their authority with the people. As for the money changers and the animal sellers, 
They provided a necessary service to pilgrims who had come to the temple to sacrifice and make offerings. First of all, coins with the image of Caesar were not allowed in the temple. They were considered idolatrous. So these money changers would trade out people's secular money for temple-approved blank tokens, which they could then use for donations inside. Think getting chips at the casino to gamble with, uh, but different. And Jewish law required an unblemished animal for sacrifice. Well, if you're traveling a long distance to make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem, it's going to be hard to keep that lamb spotless. Not to mention the hassle of carrying it that whole distance. So instead, people would purchase the animals right there in the temple courtyard before going in for the sacrifice. Why was Jesus so upset? These were necessary jobs for keeping the temple sacred according to Jewish law. Well, scholars differ on their answer to that question of why he was so upset. So let me offer you a few. First, price gouging was most likely rampant. These money changers and animal sellers had a captive audience, so they could charge whatever transactional fees they wanted to. Temple leaders were complicit in any cheating by allowing it to happen on this sacred spot, or at least by not monitoring it very closely. That made Jesus mad. Second, and related, the amount of money that went into offering worship and sacrifice to God at the temple could be enormous. It was an economy unto itself. If you were poor, but wanted to fulfill what you felt was required of you as a good Jew, it could cost you. Those animals weren't cheap, even when you factor in the sliding scale that allowed the poor to purchase pigeons instead of calves. And the surcharge on money changing was steep. Why did you have to commit so much of your hard-earned wages just to pay tribute to God? That made Jesus mad. Finally, the temple was supposed to be a place of worship. Peaceful, quiet, reverent, awe-inspiring. A place where you could feel closer to God's presence. The loud marketplace was desecrating that holiness. And because it was held in the outer court of the Gentiles, the only space where non-Jews could go to be with a God they had adopted as their own, in God's own house, these Gentiles were deprived of a worshipful experience by that marketplace. And that made Jesus mad. Why the hell aren't you angrier? There's so much in the world to be upset about. But today, I want to focus on our temples. Because I think Jesus meant this message for Episcopalians. In particular, clergy. There have been numerous times in my 10 years as a priest where I have taken the coward's path and not spoken up when I saw injustice or inappropriate behavior in the church. Now, I probably shouldn't tattle on us priests, but I'm going to. 
and me worst of all. Mind you, some of my best friends are priests. But from the moment we start on the path towards ordained ministry, we are taught to, one, not rock the boat, and two, never make the bishop angry because they hold your future in their hands. They decide whether or not you get ordained. Well, it's a lesson well learned by most priests, and it sticks. We already arrive as introverted, passive people-pleasers. In the ordination process, we become timid little creatures for all our bluster in the pulpit. We challenge very little in our institutions or leadership. I have worked under bishops where the unspoken rule in the diocese among clergy was, the emperor may be wearing no clothes, but keep your mouth shut and keep clapping. Of course, that doesn't prevent some of us from gossiping about all the bishop's shortcomings afterwards in the parking lot. But we don't challenge authority much in the church. Similarly, as much as it is a good thing to pass resolutions at church conventions that condemn policies in the Middle East or Central America or against racism or homophobia, that's about as much rage as we can muster against the injustices in our world. I'm sure Palestinians and Hondurans are grateful for our strongly worded proclamations. That was sarcasm. Yet I can't help but wonder whether actual aid or boycotts might not be a more appropriate response. A little more anger, in other words. I will say that things like the Good Friday offering we make each year for the ministries of the Anglican Church in the Holy Land and Christosol, an organization started by Episcopal clergy in America and El Salvador, do real and good work in those places. But aren't they the exception that proves the rule? Would Jesus say we've done enough? Or would he spur us on to more righteous anger? Last week, a friend of mine shared a story about a diocese on the East Coast whose new bishop had hired a second canon to the ordinary a few months before COVID hit. Because of the financial hardships caused by the pandemic, the bishop had to make some staff cuts last month. Rather than having the higher-ups take a pay cut or letting this new hire go, however, the bishop sent a letter to the diocese saying that, regrettably, their budgetary shortfall made it necessary to fire the diocesan receptionist who had worked in those offices for 17 years. At the end of the letter, the bishop wrote, let us pray for the unemployed, and included the collect from the Book of Common Prayer for the unemployed. That was not sarcasm. That was irony. But it's easy to pick on bishops behind their back. So let me tell you a story about my own cowardice. 
In the summer of 2009, between my second and third year of seminary at CDSP, Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley, the administration there fired Hector Mira, the custodian who had worked at CDSP for 26 years and was two years away from retirement. They cited necessary budget cuts. We were in a national recession at the time. But no faculty members were laid off or given pay cuts, not even the more recent hires. We all loved Hector. He was that almost stereotypical happy janitor who had a smile and a hug of encouragement for everyone. They fired him during the summer when students were gone. So we never got a chance to say goodbye. It was shocking. We heard he was incredibly stressed, suddenly having to find a new job at age 57 in the middle of a recession. So what did we do? We students who returned to seminary in the fall, we who were being trained to do ministry in the world in the name of Jesus, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable in our words and our actions, we did nothing. We kept our heads low, complained in hushed tones amongst ourselves, then studied the Beatitudes and learned about God's preferential option for the poor in our liberation theology class. All except for one seminarian, Justin. He was a year ahead of me, just graduated, and he'd frankly always struck me as arrogant and ritually prissy. But he contacted Hector, and together they presented a letter to the dean of CDSP asking for Hector's job to be reinstated. The dean said no. So Justin took the story to the local newspaper, the East Bay Times. What they printed was a much needed shaming of the seminary's hypocrisy. But what did not make the news is what damns me to this day. I, along with my classmates, did nothing. When the article was published, a local shopping mall got in touch with Hector and offered him full-time work. So he did land on his feet. But that's because someone decided to call out the authorities and to care. That news article mentioned how each December, Hector would return to El Salvador to distribute 1,000 baskets of food to the elderly and about 1,000 toys for poor children and orphans. He spent $6,000 of his own money for the food, which he bought down there and for the toys. When asked why he did such things during these difficult economic times, Hector replied, you cannot carry your Bible under your arm. You must carry it in your heart. You cannot carry your Bible under your arm. You must carry it in your heart. In your heart, there is love. But there is also righteous anger. 
That is the message of the casting out of the money changers. To allow the hypocrisy that sometimes exists in our religious institutions is to be complicit in it. We Episcopalians are trained to not rock the boat. And I, worst of all, believe me, just because I'm calling it out right now doesn't mean I'm brave enough to follow up. I have little to complain about in this place, in this diocese. But there is righteous work to be done out there. And sometimes our own passivity as a parish, a diocese, a denomination, keeps us too comfortable. Keeps us from doing that necessary work. We are all people pleasers to a certain extent. With more than a few of us only too pleased to pursue our own comforts. One of the difficult choices that clergy must make is how much to challenge their congregation. Most Christians come to church for the sense of community and comfort it brings. That's how we encounter our faith in Jesus the Good Shepherd. We don't come to be reprimanded. But as Aristotle once wrote, virtue is the middle point between two vices, between our indifference and our rage. May we find virtue as a church. And when Jesus does show up angry, may we all, clergy and laity alike, heed his call and whip ourselves into shape. Amen. <laughs>